0: In this episode, we're going to talk about how to get on the radar of your ideal clients. Now, I don't know if many of you have seen it, but there is a movie called Focus with Will Smith. And yes, this is a bit of a spoiler alert, but actually it serves to illustrate what I'm talking about. At the end of the movie, the it all rides on this big bet. And it's this whole thing of can Will Smith's character, he's got this massive bet where basically he's up against a rival and the bet is can your girlfriend guess, guess correctly the number of the player that he has chosen? They're overlooking this NFL game and there's all the players on the field and he goes, okay, the bet is um, I'm going to pick a player and if your girlfriend, in this case Margot Robbie, if she can you know, correctly guess the right number then you win an enormous amount. And if she gets it wrong, then you lose an enormous amount. So the whole movie rides on this guy has got to pick a number and then Margot Robbie has to look over the field and then she's got to pick the right number. And it's all a big setup. And the reason it's a big setup is they've been priming that guy to pick the number 55 the entire day. And what happens is when they're successful, you see a flashback and you see that what they've done is they've been studying him long enough to know what's his route, so they know like what room he stays in and how he's going to go from the hotel room to the game. And all along that journey, they've deliberately placed the number 55. So everything, everywhere you go, there are 55s. And his subconscious is picking up the number 55 the entire time. So when he looks across the field and he sees a number 55, which they've placed there, He's obviously going to pick it because he kind of feels familiar and lucky to him. And he thinks, well, you know, the odds of her picking the same person is so remote. And then he obviously loses. And it's this thing of it's a really interesting way of illustrating two things. Firstly, that, you know, with a bit of effort uh, and a bit of strategy, you can plan and actually analyse where people's focus is and where they pay attention particularly. And the second thing is, It's not that difficult to seem to be everywhere when actually you don't need to be. And this is why we find ourselves, you know, retargeting ads, echo chambers online. It can feel like we're seeing this person or whoever it is all the time, where in reality, all we're just seeing is adverts placed in front of us where we pay attention. So if you want to get on the radar of your dream clients, you probably have to take a similar approach. I don't mean you have to kind of stalk their route to work and kind of make sure that you show up all the time although like I said years ago in advertising I knew people who would sort of do this where they would kind of work out sort of what tube station their wannabe creative director would get off at and they'd sort of work out what's the best way to work and they would try and place sort of stickers and banners and things on his way to work in the hope that they would get on his radar so it is possible but you run the risk of becoming a stalker and so what we want to do is we want to make this happen so it feels organic and as if they are discovering us. But in actual fact, what we're doing is we're increasing the odds of that happening by being in the right place. Now, the reason I talk about this is if you're as a business, if you're going freelance or you're starting up on your own or you're considering it, you know, you want to be dreaming about working with your ideal type of clients. And if you're not, you're just going to end up doing a lot of the same work. Often it's going to be more boring and more stressful because you're going to have to manage A kind of more admin heavy task load. Um, And then you're going to wonder, why did I bother to even kind of go solo in the first place? So the only way that this changes, is that you have to step outside your current social circle, and look to break into other social circles, where you will find dream clients, who will, um, you know, be able to pay you more and give you more sort of exciting projects to work on. Because what happens generally is, you will end up sort of saturating a social circle and getting to know everyone. And once you know everyone within that circle, there are very few opportunities that are going to arise and it's going to stagnate. And it actually takes a consistent effort of upward, you know, moving, being upwardly mobile and looking to break into new social circles consistently um, in order to fix this. And although, yeah, look, it's going to make a lot of effort, but if we can plan a strategy where we can get on the radar of our dream clients, it does. it is not going to take a huge amount of work and effort. It's just making sure that you're seen in the right places at the right time. And I certainly believe that as humans, that's how we respond and that's how we kind of have a shorthand for quality. So if you were going to an event and you didn't know anything about it, but the sponsor's logos you recognised and they were high quality, that would initiate, oh, this must be a good quality event because they're involved. Or oh, I'm going to eat at this restaurant, apparently the chef trained under Gordon Ramsay. Well, again, you've not eaten before, you don't know who the chef is, you haven't probably seen the menu, but because the chef trained under Gordon Ramsay, that is this shorthand to quality. So what we want to do, and we can take uh, an example out of the, the very, very clever strategic mind of Clarence Avon who there's a really great documentary on Netflix called I think it's The Black Godfather but he talks about when he would have clients who he wanted to kind of launch and make famous one of the ways he would do this was that he would strategically make sure that they were seen hanging around with his existing A-list clients so that when the press and the paparazzi took photos the general narrative was like who's so and so with oh, they must be an up-and-coming star because why the else so they hang out together? And it's this social currency would rub off on them, elevating their profile and their perception, and that would help launch them. So it was a kind of strategic attack. And we kind of have to do the same because until we're known by our clients, we're going to have to rely on kind of endorsements from others and perception of what, who we are and what we do until we can kind of win them over when we meet them. This all starts with working out where they pay attention. And by this, I mean that their time often is going to be busy. They're going to be kind of, uh, it's going to be difficult to, you know, get in front of them or try and book a meeting with them or any of these things because they're busy people. However, all busy people have downtime, all busy people, you know, they will go and meet with people, attend places, visit places and follow people that they admire and that they look up to and that they think, it, you know, that it's important that they spend time with. So, the simple analysis that we have to do before we get started is we need to research where they pay attention. And the questions you need to ask yourself are going to be, what do they watch? Both, you know, mainly on Netflix, YouTube, that kind of stuff. What do they listen to? And this is probably going to be podcasts or audiobooks. What do they read? So books, blogs, industry newsletters. Where do they go? Which is going to be usually industry events. And who do they follow? Who are the tastemakers and thought leaders and influencers they look up to? And the reason why we're going to want to know all of that is that once we know who those people are, we can begin to craft a plan of where we need to be seen. And with all of this, we're looking to not interrupt the experience or kind of force it. It has to feel more organic. So if they listen to a certain podcast, um, then sponsoring that podcast or being a guest on that podcast is a way of getting in front of them that doesn't feel forced The same as if they admire a certain author or thought leader, if you were to interview or collaborate with that person again, because that person is going to bring their attention and then that's how they're going to discover you, you benefit from sort of not interrupting the experience, but also the kind of um, endorsement of the person you're collaborating with rubs off on you and makes a positive impression in their mind of who you must be. What I'm going to do now is kind of break down uh, things to consider because the first step is always perception is reality. And that, although this isn't fake it till you make it, I despise that phrase, although I understand why kind of people like it. The point being is until you know someone, all you have is the perception of that person and what you hear about them and what other people say about them. This is human nature. This is gossip. And so we need to play into how humans behave and how they communicate and actually you know use this to our advantage. So basically, it's very, very simple. We need to make a great impression of who you are, but from a distance, because the process they need to get to is they need to know you, they need to like you, and then they need to finally trust you. And then they'll be in a position of kind of considering you to work with them and, you know, help them with their business. The first part is to craft this perception of you so that you stand out. And this starts with being in all the right places, being seen with all the right people. So where you are seen is the first section we're going to think about. So this is where when I talked about where do they go you know that's not going to be hard so you need to work out okay once i know where they're turning up to what members clubs they go to what networking groups they attend then i need to make sure that i'm seen at those those same places those same places if i become a familiar place at the familiar face at these places sorry sammy i'll do that one again just rewind 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 so Where you are seen is going to be the first thing we have to consider. So in order to find that out, we need to answer the question as to where do they go? So wherever they're going, whether that's industry events, um, networking groups or membership clubs, we need to make sure that we are seen at the same places because simply by being a familiar face at those places will automatically make them kind of trust us and like us and kind of reassure them that we're not kind of someone who's trying to take advantage i use this language and it sounds very sort of predatory and opportunistic which i forgive me for that but it's really just this thing of if you've spent time curating what who the people you want to hang out with and you go to a sort of networking lunch and it's with all the people you like and respect and enjoy being with and i turn up You will assume that the person doing the networking um, who's kind of vetted me or or a friend of yours will vouch for me. So there is this shorthand of like but me just being there sort of justifies my credibility, even though they don't know who I am yet. So that's why we have to think about this. If you are a familiar face, that makes a lot more sense because the more they see you at these events, then the more comfortable they are kind of thinking they know you or even introducing themselves to you. Even better, if you can afford it, it's definitely worth taking the opportunity to sponsor one of these events or sponsor an award. Um, and even better than that would be to have a keynote opportunity, to actually do some sort of thought leadership or do a talk from a stage, because that simply does put you as, as sort of the position up high of being the expert. And we all know that humans really respond well to people up on stages, whether it's religion, cults, or like in leadership, armies, politics, it's how we function. And I believe genuinely that something goes on in the human mind that when they see someone up on the stage talking to a large group, they kind of subconsciously go, well, this person must know what they're doing about because look how many people are paying attention to them. So you need to just simply write down what are the industry events you need to attend, what are the members clubs you need to join, what are the networking groups you need to join, and what are the award events you need to go to. It's very simple. What that will do, that will kind of fill your calendar. So at least I would say... Every at least once or twice a month, you are actively attending or doing something. So if you said at least once a month, that's realistic. But again, it's it's perception is reality at this stage. So if you are seen wherever they are, then that's all that matters, because naturally we will assume, okay, they must be coming to these events quite a lot or they must be well regarded because every time I come here, they're here in the same way that when I was at uni and I was going to the gym, it didn't matter what time I went. I would always go and I would always find these beasts in the corner just screaming as they lifted these God almighty huge weights. And I was like, they, they must live here. No, for all I knew, they were just kind of turning up just before me and it's pure coincidence. But it certainly gave the impression that they were always very active in these groups. So that's the first thing where you are seen. Next up is going to be who you are seen with. And as I talked about earlier with Clarence Avon, the The way to get known or trusted or respected or build that perception of who you are and your credibility and expertise is to be seen with other people who already possess those qualities in the eyes of our client. So it's this thing of who you're seen with and who you're talking to is really important because it can elevate what people think of you. But the flip side and the risk with all these things is. If you find yourself talking to someone who has a bad reputation, but you don't quite yet know it, that can equally work off and rub it off negatively against you. So the key thing is, if you're going to get to know people, do a little bit of digging to find out what their history is and what their reputation is within the industry. Because, yeah, sure, they might be really friendly. And when you're new to that group, it's appealing to go and talk to anyone. But if they have been a kind of social pariah or or they've gone bankrupt in the past or whatever it is, then you need to stay away because that will drag you down. The people you need to kind of be considering are going to be influential people that they look up to. So super connectors, the people who organise networking groups and kind of just seem to know everyone. And industry event founders are the big ones to get to know. Because like always, if you uh, want to get to know the right people, you need to go to the people in power. Online, this would be admins of Facebook and LinkedIn groups. Because they know everyone, they can make introductions, they can recommend people for you to get to know, people to stay clear of, all these kind of things. They will know the kind of inner track of what's going on, who gets on with who. So being on the right side of those people is always extremely valuable. Next up would be people they admire. So we sort of covered it a little bit earlier, but any authors, influencers or thought leaders that they look up to, then that's always good. You're going to need to make sure that you're kind of actively collaborating, interviewing um, engaging with those people. It's the same thing as if they're following someone on social media and you're engaging with that person and they reply to you or they even might follow you back. that endorsement itself will also build the impression of you must be worth following because they're following you are followed by these people. So getting to know them, finding opportunities to collaborate is always positive for your brand and your business in your industry. But particularly as we're trying to make a good impression in the eyes of our ideal client, this is where we would actually look to do that. And the easiest way is to engage on social. Beyond that, you're looking to interview them. And then even that still, you're looking to collaborate. So that's the way it would work. And that's the way you would kind of look to slowly build up your kind of interaction with those people. And the final group is going to be mutual contacts. So there might be people that you both know on LinkedIn or ever. Um, It's always worth just double checking to see who there is, because then you can if there is someone that you're really good friends with who also knows them, you are aware that you can find out about what they're like. You can gather a bit of intel um, and you might even be able to ask for an introduction. But it's this thing of knowing who you're mutually connected to is really going to be helpful. But it, it is like everything it's a double edged sword based on the reputation of those mutual contacts, because I know that if I'm part of two networking groups and they're rivals and then one of the founders looks on my profile and sees, hold on a minute, he's connected with loads of people in that group. That's going to reflect negatively on me if he sees that as a lower value group and therefore lower value connections. So it's really important that you um, possibly trim or prune some of these connections if they're not that important to you. But more importantly, just being aware of who you both know. So if you do end up getting introduced or talking to them then that can be a point of conversation. The third thing is going to be what others say about you. So again this is all from a distance we're looking to be human and and trying to work it out. We've all seen it in kind of uh, romantic comedies where they all fancy that guy and they're like who is he who's he with or oh, what have you heard blah blah blah. So this is where you're going to have to work out what is it that people are saying about you that is going to make you look good in the eyes of your ideal client. So referrals, this is going to be the first point to start. So mutual contacts, happy clients and influential people within your industry all recommending your services are worth their weight in gold. Because let's face it, if they are curious about you, they go to your website and they find that you've got a testimonial or, or you know, like a recommendation from um, someone that they really look up to that already kind of breaks down so many barriers and elevates who you are in their eyes. So making sure that you're actively asking for referrals and testimonials is super important. When you do ask for a referral, it's always good to make it easy for the person doing the referring. So make sure they understand kind of what you're looking for in the client, how you help, and then ask them for referrals to specific individuals. If we plan it correctly, the person who we want to reach, the third party, if we're getting an introduction from someone that they look up to, that will help us enormously. So referrals are the first point of contact. We need to make sure that we're being strategic in who we're asking to be referred by and what they're saying about us. Same with testimonials. Like I said, testimonials both and like you know, on LinkedIn, on your website, uh, endorsements, all those kind of things, they will carry a lot of value. Um, they have to feel genuine and authentic and like, you know, actually decent. I saw one the other day for a product and the, the endorsement was from someone sort of a famous internet marketer that just said, this product's really impressive. It, it or This this product looks really good. I, it was so vague that you just knew that this was probably like a reply or a Twitter thread. So when it's like that and it's vague, it doesn't really help because you, you begin to question the authenticity of it. So what we want to do is when we ask for testimonials, Um, we want to say, look, make it um, specific to how I've really helped you. So, and you know, it's not curating it, but you want to make sure that it's, again, going to build up your perception. Um, And so if someone says, look, they were great fun to work with, I'd recommend them to anyone. You can always push back a little and go, well, could you just go into the little details about maybe how we've impacted your business and the knock-on effect of our work or something, you know. So we want, again, our testimonials to be a bit like the referrals. We can take control of them. By asking the right people to give them and then if you want to be specific about something a really easy way to get a very good specific testimonial is to write it in advance send it to them for approval and say look if you want to edit or change anything feel free most people will be like no that's fine and they'll send it you'll say look sign it off that's all okay and then you can post it so as always you can't make up stuff and bullshit and kind of embellish how good you were because that person can you know, they can actually say, No, I'm not gonna endorse this, it's unrealistic. But what that does is it saves everyone time and it allows you to get uh testimonials that suit you and that are specific about kind of how you can help. And as we're all building our sort of perception at this stage, there are certain qualities and certain things we want to emphasize more than others when it comes to talking about what we could do. So if my ideal client is someone that is a photographer, then I want to get testimonials that are probably about how I've helped photographers. Or so for example, if I did Facebook ads for photographers, I wanna make sure that it's not just Facebook ads, it's specifically for those type of people. So we wanna make sure that we control and curate the, te- the, the quality and the content and the context of these testimonials as much as possible so they are really curated to be as relevant as possible to the person we want to make a, you know, get on the radar of. So, like always, we're talking about clients, brand ambassadors, all these kind of things. It makes a massive difference with the people that we collaborate with and that we've worked with and that will talk about us and endorse us. That will also build our reputation from afar. So we can, you know, we can control that by asking specific people, and curating what we say about us. All of this builds our reputation from afar and will help kind of, you know, pique their interest and elevate who they think we are. Um, So when we get the opportunity to finally talk to them, then we're in a really strong place because they're kind of already educated on who we are and they'll look up to us. The next bit would be brand value perception. So that sounds like a very boring kind of jargony term, but that basically means how expensive or high quality your brand looks. And when it comes to building high end brands or quality brands or reassuring brands, there is a series of variables that can all be tweaked and adjusted to either raise or lower that quality and I don't quality isn't particularly right, but you know if i live so the list I would always consider when it comes to van brand value so this is what you look like from a kind of visual point of view. it's gonna be your branding itself, so your logo and icons and all those kind of things. The quality of your copy, so you writing it yourself versus having a copywriter write it. There's a big difference there. Um, your photography, stock photography versus actually paying a ph- proper photographer to take pictures of you. The design overall, so this can be kind of your layouts, uh, you know how the color schemes, how everything looks and feels, and the typography. So your choice of typeface, your lay- layouts, your hierarchy, your combinations. All of these elements are things that can be adjusted and improved at all times to elevate the overall quality of what you're doing. So I'm always one for like, you know, if you're taking colors, it's easy to find a sort of pre-made palette online and then you can choose Google for your fonts or you could actually take some time to really curate those colors and then actually use some custom typefaces. It's still the same principles, but what we've done is if across the board... We go, okay, I'm going to get a website copywriter to do the website copy. I'm going to get a photographer to do the pictures. I'm going to make a lot of effort to get a really individual, unique color palette that reflects the kind of personality of my brand. And I'm going to actually buy some really, sort of really nice custom typefaces. When you throw that all together, you've automatically elevated your brand. And it's the marginal gains thing of all those things work together to compound the effect to actually have a really big difference on how people perceive you. Now, generally with your brand value perception, we need to make sure that everything is aligned and on point. Um, If you have a beautiful design and typography, but your photography is crap or your copy has got typos in it, this is going to cause problems and it's going to make people kind of go, what's going on? How can they be so sloppy that they have missed that. So for me, um, it's this thing of we need to think about uh, the experience and making sure that is consistent throughout. And if you think about any other business, so for example, uh, if we think of hospitality, because uh, for example, if you're, you know, I know that world and having one a Michelin star, if you're eating in a Michelin starred restaurant and it all looks amazing, but the music's a bit crap or there's water stains on the cutlery or the staff shirt isn't quite tucked in or the windows are dirty, or like there's a funny smell. All it can take is like one little thing can throw you off. And then you begin to question, are they telling the truth about their Michelin star? Because I don't believe a Michelin star inspector would allow this to go without being punished. So One little thing can undermine everything else and we don't want that. So we want to make sure that it's flawless and the perception of our brand is just clean, polished and consistent. So it's very good to I I genuinely think that the most effective way to do it is to bring in other people, um, do a skill swap or, you know, someone you might know who's maybe affordable, but they'll do an amazing job. They'll do it quicker. They'll do it better than you and you won't have to kind of agonize on improving it. It makes an enormous difference. The same is true when it comes to your marketing. Um, People who are going to be kind of building this impression of us, if we think about what we've covered so far, so who's talking about us, where we're seen, what our endorsements are, you know, who we're seen with, when they visit our website, what that looks like. The other side of the digital footprint is obviously going to be kind of SEO, but social media and marketing and your adverts, you know. Although, you know, advertising is a mass media exercise, the experience of an ad is always a one on one experience. So when it comes to doing your marketing, remembering that is crucial and very important. And if we want to convince people that we're worth working with, we need to communicate that. And we need to have sort of brevity and quality and consistency in our advertising. And we need to make sure that we're true to our brand and we're expressing ourselves in a way that, you know, is on brand, I suppose, So, if you're a lively young brand, you want to have a great sort of personality in your copy and your colours and your videos, but it's the consistency. And we need to make sure we're, we're conveying qualities that will resonate and appeal with our ideal clients. You know, what do we stand for? You know, what do we, changes do we want to see in the world? What's our values? All of this communicated in a way that will resonate and align with the own personal beliefs and values of our ideal client will make us more attractive. So it's super important that we know what those are and then we communicate them really clearly because concise, clear communication conveys confidence. And you'll see this when you see uh, bad advertising or bad design, they will fill all the space with stuff, words, copy, uh, you know, bullet points, icons, pictures. It will just be fill everything up don't leave any negative space don't leave any gaps where confident advertising will just focus on communicating one thing really well and actually using the negative space to make it visually more dynamic so remember that don't fall into the trap of buying templated crap take a bit of time to curate and craft what you're putting out there so that it matches the aesthetic that is on your website already the final bit when it comes to kind of doing this is going to be looking at what partnerships Um, we have with other people, what sponsorships we're currently undertaking and any endorsements that we're working on. So where these are powerful is that you can effectively buy yourself uh, a ticket at the top table of any key event. So if you wanted to, maybe you go, well, I want to be seen at a certain place like a polo event, sponsoring an awards or a table or being a sponsor of the event will allow us to sort of, we can buy our way in there and that's the way to do it. So when other people attend the event and they see that we're a sponsor, they will put turn two, two together and get five. And they'll go, oh, wow, they must be pretty good and successful because they're here. You know, we, they should be getting four, but they won't because the perception is like they'll always exaggerate and embellish and sort of over-project on how great they think we are. And this is great because anything we're doing, again, with you know sponsorships and collaborations, it allows us to pick and choose who we want to work with, which, again, will... Uh, not only expose us to their audience and all that kind of stuff but also just it just positions us in the eyes of our ideal client because we're benefiting from all the brand equity that has been built in whoever we're collaborating with or whatever event we're sponsoring so thinking about where they pay attention where they turn up who they look up to and finding those opportunities yeah it might be expensive you don't have to sponsor a whole event you might sponsor one award but again all the benefits that come with that are the PR you can do around it actually attending the event you know giving the award out mingling for the evening all of this is massive and that's a long-term investment in building your brand first impressions so we're thinking okay about what is the first impressions if they interact with our brand and i'm sort of talking about everything kind of from what it looks like to the people who work for us and with us. So at this stage, we're kind of moving into maybe they want to give us a ring or they want to visit our place of business. And it all depends on what you do. But your aesthetic, uh, the quality of your product, your packaging, the people who represent you and work with you, the atmosphere at work, the culture of your business, all of these things will come into play as they start to get closer and we come under more scrutiny. That's when we're going to need to make sure there is a consistency um, to deliver on fulfilling the perception they're building in their heads. So look, it depends on the size of your business, how many people are working for you. But I know from a hotel point of view, and even from my agency point of view, we have to look at all the kind of customer touch points that they're going to have when they interact with us. And we need to control them so that they are consistent and enjoyable. So everything that you do physically and digitally with them from an interactive point of view needs to be controlled. So you know, if you think about you're running an office, um, what is it going to be like when they walk into reception? What's the atmosphere like when the receptionist picks up the phone? How nice are they? Do they get a good coffee on arrival? What's the room temperature? Is the toilet clean? What's the meeting room like? All these kind of things make a massive difference. And I found the easiest way to think about it is to think like a hotel Because we all know that hotels give exceptional customer service and they're always kind of one step ahead. So they're looking to kind of anticipate what you might need and they would have ironed out all the flaws and all the kinks in the whole process. And I know that from having run a hotel, it's massively important that you know who is arriving, what time they're arriving, what requirements they need, have they you know, and all of this you can try and preempt and prepare for. It's gonna make a massive difference. So when they arrive and you know that they're gonna be tired, that you've got you know, like a cream tea already set up for them. There is a travel cot in the room because they've told you they're bringing a kid. You've booked a restaurant for them already. You're offered to take their bags to their room and you've parked their car. The receptionist already knows their name, has already got like a sort of toys for the kids planned. They're very relaxed and friendly. If all of that is happening, when they arrive, you will overwhelm them and they'll be like, oh, what a relief, you know, because we've had a stressful long journey. Um The kids are doing our head in. Uh, we're quite tired we were looking forward to going to a restaurant and having a bit of a relaxing evening and you go, yeah, it's all taken care of. I booked you in here. I've arranged a babysitter. We've got everything set up in the room, blah, blah, blah. It's all done. Then they will love you for that forever. And that goodwill will extend for so long and it's massively important. So the first impressions, we have to control that based on now they're going to interact with us. So this is from email responses, email signatures, DMs, uh, phone calls, answer for your phone messages, replying to emails, all of this. We're now beginning to make sure that any way that they interact with us, we have to control. So it's smooth, flawless, looks good, maintains the bubble. The, we don't want to burst the bubble that we look great, but we're shit. No, not at all. We want to keep that. And like I said, they're coming closer now. So now we need to focus on nailing all of that. You're also going to probably have to look at your digital presence. I did kind of Talk touch on this earlier with social media, but it's going to be things like um, when you do a Google search of yourself, what comes up. Um, if your SEO isn't being done, you know you need to look at that and control that because naturally they're going to Google you. So auditing all of your social media presences to make sure they're consistent, so same photography, same bios, same descriptions, same logos, and the links are all the same is massively important um taking control of your seo and updating your google profiles and making sure everything has been accounted for is enormous um and then if you need to do any pr to kind of counteract any possible negative press so arranging for have like articles coming out in you know prominent publications so when they search that comes near the top all of this is massive as well so yes i know it's a lot of work but a lot of this work done now is evergreen work and if done properly it's going to stay there so Uh, review everything, pretend to be like the client and search for yourself on social media and see what comes up. And then anything that doesn't look good or perhaps, you know, needs to be fixed, make sure you fix it because that's enormous. We also need, because when we start to uh, talk to them, so the goal with all of this is not like a recap, but we're building the impression from afar. They're coming slowly closer. So at some stage, where they're going to probably... Uh, investigate who we are digitally. And then at some point, they're going to move closer to talking to us. And this is at the stage where they might call us, we might end up talking to them at an event, they might, you know, reach out or whatever it is. But now we're starting to understand. So when they do communicate with us, we don't break the illusion. So we need to firstly learn their language. Now by this, I mean that we need to understand their industry that they're in, their position in that industry from a market point of view, who their customers are, um, what their customers want, and what it's like for them to run their business. And all of this sounds like a lot, but it's pretty straightforward, because if you're working in an industry anyway, you probably know a lot of this. But an example that really helped me to really sort of solidify this was, when we had the hotel, I was still sort of um, freelancing and I was gonna start my agency. So I was still doing a lot of sort of design and branding and marketing work. But I was also running the hotel and the restaurant as well, fairly busy, but I would go to networking events because I felt that was what I needed to do. So at one of these networking mornings, I was sat down, it was a breakfast morning at a really nice hotel, and I was actually sat next to the hotel manager, and he looked kind of like tired and stressed because I know what that's like, and we got talking, and I was could explain to him, yeah, we've got a hotel as well, it's this hotel, he knew which one it was, and we immediately bonded over kind of though that industry knowledge of like you know not being able to get suppliers difficult guests petulant chefs you know people like leaving for other businesses for like a pound an hour more all of that kind of stuff he was like oh yeah it's just this time of year like summer it's hectic and so I, I was able to kind of um I don't know. It's like a therapy session for him, to be honest, because he was so relieved he didn't have to explain what he did to someone who didn't know. There was just an instant shorthand. And if anything, I was able to help recommend like, oh, there's a supplier that we use is really good. If you get stuck with this, I might be able to recommend someone. And I was helping him. And it was a thing of like I was helping him from a, point, a hotel point of view. But when he was able to go, oh, this is, you know, really helpful. Thank you. It's been a really enjoyable chat. I normally don't like these networking things. I get stuck with someone and the whole time I'm kind of looking over their shoulder at one of my staff who's doing something wrong. This time he could kind of switch off because he knew that I knew what it was like. Um, and that opened the door to then like, well, what do you do apart from the hotel? Well, actually, my background's in advertising. I do branding. That's my main passion. It's a family business. I'm doing both at the moment. I'm You know, so now we're having a conversation where we've sort of moved it into what I really want to be doing. And the advantage of sort of saying, well, I want to do sort of branding for hospitality clients because I know that industry, it opens the door to him going, well, look, we're a bit busy now, but why don't you come in for a coffee next week? We'd love to have a chat, find out a bit more about what you do. And already we've kind of, by me knowing what's going on, it makes it so much easier to ch- transition that conversation into a time that's more convenient. And, I'm not saying you have to own a business in their industry to know that, but you can certainly find out what they are going through and learn their language and understand the problems they have. So you can have that kind of shorthand so you know the same people, you understand the same news events, there's things going on. And all of this, this will come from hanging out in Facebook groups, hanging out in LinkedIn groups, subscribing to industry newsletters and following industry thought thought leaders if you do all of that, you'll already have a finger on the pulse of their industry. And so when they do talk to you, you'll have so much in common that that will help. Again, it will really make you stand out because one of the it's not really a mistake, but if you offer lots of different services to lots of different people, it is very hard to sort of go deep enough in your knowledge of their industry so that you can speak with any credibility. <clears throat> Quite often, a lot of your kind of phrases and terminologies and all of that will be fairly surface level and generic. And to be honest, people switch off because they know that, well, you don't really know it. And like, you know, I'm not I'm not learning anything new from this conversation. And unfortunately, they will tend to switch off. So the more specific you can be about things happening in their industry, the relief that they will feel because they don't need to explain it. You both know it goes unsaid. And then they can actually talk to you about something which is more meaningful and really matters to them. Next will be what are they looking for? So. If you've made a good impression and you've talked to them well, there are going to be things that they need from someone like you um, that is going to provide reassurance for sort of possibly considering working with you. So they're going to be looking for things like experience. So this might be working under a person or uh, working with bigger clients or working in a bigger company. It could be qualifications. It could be awards or accreditations. Um, It's going to usually be a track record of success, and this is going to be coming from two things, which is going to be testimonials um, from thought leaders and high-profile clients in your industry, and in-depth case studies that are demonstrating that you understand the problems. But not only that, you can provide solutions that fix those problems. Once you know what they're looking for, you can then start providing it, and that's vital because... If you said, well, you know, great speech the other day, I thought I'd enclose a couple of articles or case studies that we'd done with clients similar to yours, just to give you an understanding of like what we do in a bit more depth. And then let's set up a coffee next week to, to have a chat about how I can help. That kind of approach, where you kind of go, look, I've already got examples of how I've helped other people just like you, um, that will really benefit them. They'll love that and that'll make a big difference. And so we need to understand what they're looking for from us. This is a business point of view. We're not, uh, it's not subjective alone. You can't just go, well, I'm going to hire them because I think they're cool or they're nice. The reality is when they have to spend budget, they expect return on budget. So they're going to only want to spend that budget um, with people who have shown a level of confidence and expertise and success. So they know that it's going to work and it's not a risk. And so you will need to not only acquire those skills, but demonstrate them clearly and make it easy to find on your website. So when they are looking, they find it and it just reassures them. What do they need help with? So again, I kind of talked about this a minute ago, but this is where generalists have generalist type advice and it's all quite surface level, uh, such as, oh, you need to make more money and get more customers. Yeah, everyone needs to do that. You know, actually, what would be more interesting is to solve an industry-specific problem for me. So if you know what they need help with, then it's going to make it so much easier to talk about that problem and then also work around providing solutions for that problem so again if it is if you're running a hospitality business um, keeping hold of your best staff is vital particularly in a seasonal business when it gets busy and you can't always afford to pay them more because you know it's there's not much profit in restaurants particularly it can be really tough so how do you keep your best people without having to pay them more or how do you recruit and attract even better people when you can't afford to pay them more and you know that might come down to incentives, bonus schemes, culture building, marketing, team bonding. There's lots of different ways of doing it, but if you've been doing that successfully with restaurants, or you might say, um, how do you get people to turn up so that midweek lunches are always busy? That's again, another challenge that most restaurants have. It's busy at the weekend, it's dead in the week. So again, that's an industry specific challenge. So you need to understand how to fix that. And you need to try and make sure you found solutions to those problems with previous experience. And this brings us on to the kind of the next thing, which is what's the level of expertise do these dream clients require from you. And it's crucial to be realistic and aware of this, because as we go higher up the kind of food chain, and we want to get bigger, more attractive clients, we have to understand there's going to be more competition for those clients. Um, And when you are pitching against kind of agencies and places like that, it's going to be harder because they're going to be able to offer a level of manpower that you possibly can't. Um, They might be able to have more experience than you've currently got, especially if you're kind of starting out in one industry. So I think your choices are this, you can either choose to, you know, maybe start on smaller companies, gain that experience. Uh, and gain that success and be patient. You might decide I'm going to go and work for a bigger company to get that experience, and then come back to my own setup. Or you might find that you collaborate with others to kind of create a sort of uh, a sort of temporary mini agency vibe where you can all by together teaming up land bigger projects. So you might go well, an agency can provide graphic design, web design, Facebook ads, copy, and photography. Well, fine, but we can also, I can team up with a web designer, a copywriter, a photographer, and I'll do all the design. And I've got a Facebook ads guy as well. So the five of us can actually rival that agency. And we could even argue we're better than the agency because we're all experts in our own field, which means you're getting a better quality of service, not just a kind of overall generalist approach, which the agency might offer. So that's how you would kind of weigh that up. So we we have to make sure that when we bring them all in, perception, what people are saying, how they see us, what it's like to interact for us when we first chat with them, understand how we can help them and then what they need from us. If we get all of that right, then we're in a really strong position to get not only get on the radar but actually land that client. So for me, this is what I would always recommend you to do. It's a, it's a slow burn and it takes time, but if done consistently – Once you've outlined that, it's only going to work more and more and more because your reputation is built, your brand value perception is built, all your onboarding and client sort of touch points are are nailed, your digital presence is squeaky clean, and when you talk to these clients, you know what to say. So for me, that is the final bit, which is going to be putting all that together, and then when you get the chance to talk to them, winning them over, and then now you've managed to not only get on the radar of your dream client, but you've managed to actually land them as well. So, with all these things, I think it's it's important to kind of focus on what in what order to do them, uh, and how to improve. Certainly, it's always going to start with building your reputation from afar, getting your ducks all in a row, and the, the first kind of short-term goals are always going to be kind of making sure that you're using your current clients to sh- demonstrate your expertise. So, making sure that they're doing really well, and perhaps going above and beyond what the brief was to demonstrate the skills that your ideal clients are looking for so you know whatever it is i would always go and do more so if you said well we we do photography and it's going to be like kind of brand photography but actually i'm going to do like product photography as well because i know that i want to work with high-end e-commerce stores then you need to go above and beyond and probably shoot some of their product anyway and you might not charge for it they maybe didn't ask for it but the point is you can include it in the case study so to round it out to show that level of expertise you also need to try and work at fixing um, your brand perception so that's working on all the qualities we talked about earlier as far as your logo your branding your typography your copy all of that make sure that it all aligns and visually looks like the type of brands that they're comfortable working with and they aspire to work with so it's reassuring And then finally start to kind of follow who they follow and try and work out where they need to go so you can start attending those events, you know. The second stage of sort of more medium-term goals will always be getting to know the right people within that ideal client company and asking for referrals to them, understanding what kind of skills they're looking for um, and acquiring those skills and making sure that you can understand what their problems are so you can talk about it with confidence. And then you're going to start to probably launch A PR initiative where you're kind of doing articles, sponsorships, collaborations with people they look up to so that now you're raising your own profile in their eyes. The long-term goals will always be around can you be entering any awards that will look amazing on your CV, Um, doing this thing of uh, actively reaching out to people to see if there's any opportunities and even, you know, like I said, it's a combination of consistent asking for referrals, asking for testimonials, doing awareness to be seen. And then actually the final stage is always kind of like regularly reaching out to these people to see if there's any opportunities to work together. And if need be, um, maybe doing spec work or like, you know, projects which, you know, that aren't really well paid, but they will demonstrate your capability and there are sort of a stepping stone. I know that there is a really well-known, it's a wine brand that my friend is the GM of. They've grown from sort of one venue to sort of seven now. But when they were doing their rebrand initially, the company that did it offered to do it for free, knowing that that would give more opportunities to do more work with as they grew and opened more shops. But also it was a stepping point and a platform that they could then pitch to other clients with saying, we've just done the branding for this business. It looks amazing. They love it. How about we do the same for you? And now, now, nobody knows they did that for free, but that was their whole strategy and their kind of, um, you know, it's a way of lead generation In a way you kind of do free spec work on a real place to get the opportunity and the exposure that then gives you the platform to then go after other people. To sum up, think about doing it exactly how Will Smith did it in the movie Focus and conserve your resources and making sure that you are just about where they're paying attention. Be aware that this will take time because to do this well and consistently will take time. But remember, all you're trying to do is Put your energy and attention and focus into where your client's attention is. So as long as you look great to them and that's all they see of you, then nothing else really matters because we're trying to get on the radar of them. We're not trying to please everyone. We're not trying to make everyone you know look how brilliant we are. We're not trying to appeal to other designers or photographers or peers in our group. We're single handedly going after this one person, this one type of ideal client and making a brilliant impression with them. And that's this approach. And if you follow what I've laid out there, I promise you, you will get on the radar of your ideal client. And when you do, you won't disappoint, which is crucial to moving forward and growing our business and improving the clients we work with and actually loving what we do. And that's why we do it. That's why we decide to go on our own or we decide to set up our own place. It's to gain back creative control and actually get back to enjoying what we do. I hope you found this episode useful. As always, if you have any questions, you can email thad at thadducation.com. Please join the Facebook group so you can ask me questions in there. And if you think there's anyone who would enjoy this or find it valuable, please share it with them as I want to grow the podcast and help as many people as possible. All I can do is wish you luck and say thank you very much. Have a great day and I'll catch you soon.